0: turn with me, please, to the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the believers in the city of Philippi, his letter to the Philippians. We have been looking together at a series of studies from Paul's letter here, and we have entitled it, Turning Toward Joy, Discovering a Joy that Circumstances Cannot Change. From chapter 1, we have looked at the joy of community, the joy of adversity, and the joy of integrity. And here in Philippians chapter 2, we have been considering and will continue to consider today the joy of unity from the first 11 verses of Philippians 2. We have looked together from verse 1 at reasons for Christian unity, and from verses 2 through 4, requirements for Christian unity. And now I'd like to read for us at this time from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Paul is writing to the Philippian believers and by application to you and to me. And he says this, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but... Emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, you should have an insert in your bulletin, and there's a phrase here, uh, a paragraph that I'd like to read at this time as we launch into a, a brief consideration of these verses. In Philippians 2 5 through 11, we are exposed to the perfect role model for unity in the church, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. These verses provide a powerful conclusion. Paul's message on unity because they illustrate the kind of humility and servanthood necessary to establish and preserve unity in the body of Christ. There were several steps involved for our Lord as he made the round trip journey from glory to glory each of which has a very practical application for us as children of God. Step one is found in verse 6, where we read how Jesus Christ relinquished his place. Notice Paul's words here. It reads, although he existed in the form of God. You know, if anyone had a reason to be self-centered, it was Jesus Christ. He had existed throughout eternity. And to understand the greatness of of Christ's sacrifice, we must try to understand, and I don't think we'll, we'll ever be able to understand it completely, but we need to try to begin to understand exactly what Jesus Christ did when he left heaven and came to earth as a man. I, I, don't, I don't really think we can grasp that as we think about the fact that Jesus Christ, God, the eternal God, the eternal Son of God, left heaven and all the glory of heaven, which we can't even imagine, to come to this earth. That giant step, that huge step, that incomprehensible step that Jesus Christ took when he left heaven and came to this earth. He relinquished his place with God the Father, that place that he had enjoyed and lived in from eternity past. And here we see him relinquishing that, although he existed in the form of God, and came to this earth. Now this kind of humility and servanthood that is illustrated by Jesus Christ, is the kind of humility and servanthood that we are to embrace as well. He is our model. We've discussed quite a bit this morning about the importance of modeling what we teach and exemplifying what we teach. Well, here is our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, He is modeling for us what true humility is. He is modeling for us what true servanthood is. And this kind of humility and servanthood are necessary to not only establish, but to preserve unity in the body of Christ and in the family of God, and yes, in Seneca Community Church. Now, there are a lot of churches, unfortunately, where there is not a lot of unity and there is not a lot of humility and there is not a lot of servanthood going on. Well, Jesus Christ models for us true humility and true servanthood and he says this is what we are to do. We are to imitate him in his humility and in his servanthood and that is to be evidenced in our local body of believers. And you know, just so you know, I believe there's a great, great, great evidence of humility and servanthood here. And I know the last, well, what do we want to say, the last three weeks or so have been pretty intense here, haven't they? We are going through this time of transition where we have a new board of deacons. We have a ministry team leadership board. We have different ministry teams, six different ministry teams that are meeting. And you know, uh, Hope and I were just talking yesterday, commenting, not in any negative way whatsoever. But you know, we, we have been to 10 meetings over the last week and a half. And, and we're good with that because this is all for this time of transition. And we have a body of believers here who have evidenced and illustrated and modeled humility and servanthood and really going through a lot of change here, but with a humble spirit and a a spirit of servanthood. And I thank you. You know, keep it up. In months and years to come, continue to be characterized Through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who energizes and empowers you to do it, continue to be examples of humility and servanthood. And I guarantee you, on the authority of the Word of God, there is no limit to what God will do in and through your lives individually and in and through your lives as a church family. So we have the example of Christ. He relinquished his place. We need to follow his example. Step number two from verse six. He refused his prerogative. Notice it says, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. While never ceasing to be God, that's important to remember, while never ceasing to be God, Jesus Christ willingly laid aside the outward manifestation of his deity. He did not view the outward manifestation of his deity as something he had to hold on to and keep a hold of in order to do what God had sent him here to do. And while we may not be able to fully understand this deep biblical truth, there are certain truths that we can glean from it. Jesus Christ saw the sinful plight of humanity, us, and all those who have come before us and all those who will come after us. Jesus Christ saw the sinful plight of humanity, and he did what was necessary, whatever it took, to provide for our eternal salvation. Now, let's not miss our role in this. Jesus made a conscious choice to do whatever he had to do to redeem lost sinners, you and me included. And if he were willing to do that, how much more should we be willing to do whatever it takes to reach out to a lost world in need of the Savior and to reach out to one another with the love of Christ. If the only person in the world who had every right to assert his rights, waived them, put them aside, then you and I should do no less for him and for his will. And let me just say an additional word here. Every person here in this auditorium, without exception, yours truly included, every person in this auditorium, every person in Seneca, every person in Lenaway County, every person in Michigan, every person in the United States, every person in the, in the entire world that has ever lived, is living, or ever will live, each and every one of us, without exception, was born a helpless, hopeless sinner and separated from God because of that sin. Jesus saw that and he did whatever he had to do to be able to redeem us and to reconcile us to God through his death, burial, and yes, his resurrection. And so, What can enable us to pass from death to life? It's pretty simple, and yet it's very profound. We need to understand the nature of God. God is a holy God, and he accepts nothing but absolute holiness. We, when we came into this world, we were born sinners, and that's why we do sinful things. It's not the other way around. We don't become sinful because we do bad sinful things. We do bad sinful things because we already are sinful. And so Jesus saw that, and we must recognize that. God is holy. I am not. But God provided a remedy, and his name was Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am willing. I am willing to do whatever I need to do to redeem len robinson to redeem each and every person here to redeem everyone who has ever lived is living or ever will live and the important thing for each and every individual is to recognize what god who god is in his absolute holiness who i am in my absolute sinfulness and to understand and embrace And make it mine. I receive Jesus Christ as my only, only source of hope for forgiveness and eternal life. Step three, verse seven. He renounced his privileges. Paul uses the words, he emptied himself. I believe the best and most accurate way to explain this phrase is that in his incarnation... Jesus Christ voluntarily surrendered the independent exercise of his divine attributes. Now, he never ceased to possess his divine attributes, or he would have ceased to be God. But he did voluntarily put himself under the authority of God the Father and under the control of the Holy Spirit of God and put aside the exercise of his divine attributes. Now, I'd like to make a, a plug here. We have, uh, we're have we doing things a little differently. This change just came about this past, uh, this past week. We have a time of hospitality and fellowship. Now, we've had that uh, for quite some time. But we have a time of hospitality and fellowship over in what we call Heritage Hall, from 9 to 9.30. Now, what that means is uh, you can come in, you can have coffee, you can have really good stuff that uh, the ladies in our church make or others provide. We have that time of fellowship and food and, and just conversation and encouragement of one another from 9 to 9.30. Now, what we were doing was having Sunday school over there, but we've, we've flipped it. And we now have Sunday school over here. Why are we doing that? Well, mainly, if someone comes a little later and was not able to be here for that time of hospitality and fellowship, they can go in there. Say you get here 940 or... That would be right, yes. 940, 945. You can go over there and have some coffee, maybe see somebody else over there, have some refreshments, just enjoy the fellowship together. And then... We have our morning worship. Now, just want to make that clear. Sunday school, adult Sunday school is now over here in a circle. I want to make a plug for Sunday school. We are learning some really, really good truths. Uh, Keith is teaching us uh, about the life of Christ, different areas of the life of Christ. And what we've been looking at just lately is the resurrection of Christ. But you know, his disciples asked him when he was here, you know, wh- when is all this going to happen? When, when is this going to happen? And when is this going to happen? And when is this going to happen? You know what Jesus said? It is not for us to know the times or the seasons. But the F- God the Father knows, and when it's his perfect time, he'll make it happen. Now, did Jesus know Yes, he knew, but he placed aside the voluntary use of his divine attributes. And so, did he cease to be omniscient? No, he's all-knowing. He has been from eternity past, and he will be into eternity future. But while he was on planet Earth, he said to his disciples, it's not for us to know that right now. But this is what you need to know. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what you need to know. Don't be worrying about when this is going to happen. Don't be worrying about signs that may precede what's going to happen. Don't be caught up in that. Get out and tell people the good news. And so that is a perfect example about how Jesus laid aside the voluntary use of his divine attributes. He is all knowing, past, present, future, eternity, past, eternity, future. He is all knowing, but while he was on planet Earth, he placed it aside. Because he wanted his disciples to really get the thought. Don't be looking at signs, don't be trying to figure out when it's going to happen. And when we do that, we always mess up. Just focus on why you're here. And you're here to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to baptize them in the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and, yes, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus wanted to leave with his disciples. So a beautiful example there about how he renounced his privileges. Step four, verses seven and eight. He restricted his presence. Notice, he, Paul writes, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. I, I kind of had to smile at our new song this morning. It talks about, you know, old, young. I don't know where I fit in that category, but it talks about old, young. It talks about all shapes and sizes. Did you pick that up? That's cool. All shapes and sizes. When Jesus came, this... I find this hard to imagine. Here is the eternal God of the universe, the one who was there with God the Father in creation, the one who created all things, and in him all things hold together. Why doesn't this entire universe and our earth just blow to pieces? Because Jesus Christ is holding it together. That's what it says. He not only created it, he keeps it together. That's why the earth doesn't go spinning off into space, never to return. It's because Jesus Christ created it, and he holds it together, and he created us too. Now, some of you are sitting there half asleep or, or wide awake, and you're looking up there, and he said, man, he must have fallen, God must have fallen asleep when he made that guy up there. You know, he got distracted somehow. You know, I I like to joke about myself, uh, self-deprecation, that's okay. I won't make fun of other people, but I can make fun of myself. And that's okay, isn't it? Uh, But, you know, God created all of us. Jesus Christ is our creator. And yet, he was willing to take the form of a man. He laid it all aside. And... He came to, from unbounded freedom to be confined in a human body. In turn, he was confined to a small part of the universe he had created, the eternal God of heaven, becoming a man without ever ceasing to be God. Now, I don't want to get gross here But honestly, this is the best illustration I can come up with. And I shared this at Camp Sela this past summer, and maybe Janelle was awake during that time that I mentioned it. You know, the best illustration, and again, not to be gross or crude, the best illustration I could come up with is imagine you becoming a maggot. We have the the privilege and the pleasure of being human beings. But imagine, and, and we're imagining here, imagining that maggots had an opportunity to be saved. And so you and I are willing to become a maggot, to reach maggots so that they can be saved. You know, sometimes I go out to the dumpster out here, and in the summer, let me tell you, that thing is gross in the summer. There are maggots all over the place. And every time I see a maggot, I think, that's what Jesus did for me. It is. Jesus became a human being in order to provide for our eternal salvation. And in our becoming a maggot in order to save maggots doesn't even doesn't even touch the surface of what Jesus did. Doesn't even doesn't even begin to touch it. Step five, <clears throat> verse eight. Jesus realized his purpose. Paul writes, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We cannot imagine death by crucifixion. The Romans, they worked at it. They became experts at torturing, killing, tormenting people through crucifixion. The, the death, death by crucifixion, and, and there are doctors who have written about this and, and we could go into that, but that's not our purpose at this point in time. But death by crucifixion was a horrible, horrible, horrible death. Imagine the most horrible death you can come up with, physically speaking, and crucifixion would top it for certain. But that wasn't the worst thing about Jesus' death on the cross. The worst thing about Jesus' death on the cross was beyond the physical torture he went through, and his being for the very first time separated from God the Father. He had had perfect fellowship and perfect unity with God the Father until he was placed on that cross. And on that cross, he took upon himself your sin, my sin, the sin of the entire universe, past, present, future. And because he took on that sin, God, being holy, could not look at him. And so Jesus Christ, for the very first time in his life, had God the Father turn his back on him. And that's why he declares, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now he knew why. And he knew why he was on that cross. And he could have jumped off that cross any moment. And he could have been rescued by legions of angels. But he chose to stay on the cross. He chose to go through that horrible physical pain. And he chose to be separated from God his Father, a torture that Far surpassed the physical torture on the cross. And he did that for you and for me. Then, step six, verses nine through 11, very quickly. He received his promotion. Paul writes God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This beautiful passage teaches us about Christ's preexistence, His incarnation, His humiliation, His crucifixion, His ascension, which Keith taught about this morning, and His exaltation that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow every knee will bow imagine all people of all time in the past all people who now exist all people who will exist up to this point in time Every knee will bow before King Jesus. Now, some of us, have you ever, you ever heard the song, am um, not sure who sings it, but he talks about what what will that be when, when, I, when I'm before my God? Uh, you know the song, some of you? You know, he talks about whether he'll sing or whether he'll bow down or whether, what. I can only imagine, thank you, that's it. You know, uh, I think I've mentioned this before. The, the only re- response that I can think about is I'm going to be flat in my face, man. But every knee will bow. Now some of us, because of God's grace and our response to that in repentance and being forgiven and following him with our whole heart. Some of us will bow the knee voluntarily and from a grateful heart. Others will be forced to bow the knee and then go into a Christless eternity. And so it's critically important for us to understand You know, one day, every knee will bow before King Jesus. And my prayer is that everyone here will be able to bow down before him because we love him and because of what he has done for us and perhaps even fall flat on our faces. But for those who don't know Jesus, they will bow before him not as Savior, not as Lord, not as Redeemer, but as Judge. And that's why it is so critically important to make sure that we have opened our heart to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful example he is. Don't you think? of humility and servanthood. And he is the example that we are to follow. So I conclude with this. First of all, please make certain that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you've never made certain of that, I I plead with you, I beg you, Paul says, to be reconciled to God. Recognize that, Jesus, that God is holy. That we are not. That God sent Jesus. And that by receiving him, I too can be accepted by God and forgiven and live with him forever. If you've never done that, make sure you speak with someone with whom you have confidence. Someone you trust. And have that person explain that to you and give your heart to Jesus. And then the second word is, for those of us who by the grace of God do know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have a beautiful example here of genuine humility and genuine servanthood. My prayer is that we will follow his example. That we will follow the example that he has modeled for us. And that we, too, would be characterized by that same humility and that same servanthood, shall we pray. Our Father, we thank you for your presence with us here this morning. And thank you, Lord, for all that you have blessed us with in being together. And we just pray, Lord, that you would take your word and apply it to our hearts. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, at this time we're going to dedicate some time to praises and or prayer requests. So I'd like to receive...